I think we've got a few decades at most to solve the whole array of environmental problems, the toxification of the planet, the loss of biodiversity, the climate disruption. We're in deep, deep trouble. And my big hope for this book and so on is for several decades to save a lot of people a lot of misery. A wise man once said, A wise man once said, The best way to predict the future is to create it. You're about to experience a next level show. Scientists, entrepreneurs, thought leaders. You're listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. Welcome back, or if this is your first time, welcome to the show. I'm Carl Taylor, and this is Future of Humanity podcast, where we discuss and explore just what is coming next for the future of humanity. Today's a really great show. I'm really excited to uh, be able to share this with you. I'm joined not by one, but two amazing experts. And we're discussing a fascinating topic, which is of their latest book, and it's all about a hidden epidemic that society, and at least Western society, is facing, and it relates to our jaws. Yes, I'm talking about the, the mouth and the jaws that we have our teeth in. You see, our jaws are getting smaller, our teeth more crooked and crowded. And, and this might sound kind of superficial, but there are a lot of difficulties that can come about from our teeth and our jaws, uh, especially when it comes to breathing. So today I'm joined by Dr. Sandra Khan, who is a graduate from the University of Mexico and the University of Pacific in San Francisco. She has 25 years of clinical experience in orthodontics. She's a part of the craniofacial anomalies team at UCSF and at Stanford University. Her graduate work at UC Berkeley on physical anthropology and human craniofacial growth and development. She's an international lecturer and an author of three books, uh, Let's Face It, Go Pex, Good Oral Posture Exercises, and Jaws, The Story of a Hidden Epidemic, which is the book we are talking about today. And we're joined today by her co-author of Jaws. His name is Dr. Paul Ehrlich. He is a Bing Professor of Population Studies. He's also the president of the Center for Conservation Biology at Stanford University and an adjunct professor of University of Technology in Sydney. He's also the author and co-author of more than 1,100 scientific papers and articles in the popular press, as well as over 40 books. So he's a prolific writer. Uh, he's probably best known for his best-selling book, The Population Bomb, which he wrote back in 1968. And uh, as well as that, he's well known for his efforts in alerting the public to the many intertwined drivers that are pushing humanity to a collapse of civilization. So I'm thrilled to be joined by these amazing people. Uh, if you have young children, you do not want to miss this episode. It is amazing and you will learn so much. And if you don't have children, but you've had teeth out or you know someone who's had braces or orthodontic work, you will find this absolutely fascinating. I highly recommend you pick up a copy of their book as well, but let's get into the interview. Super excited for today's episode. Honored to have Dr. Sandra Khan and Dr. Paul Ehrlich joining me, the authors of an amazing book called Jaws, The Story of a Hidden Epidemic. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Our great pleasure. Thank you. I'm fascinated to know, it talks about in the, in the foreword of the book, and, and I know you guys have mentioned this, 
that really this book came about from a conversation over dinner. Talk, talk to me about that. How over dinner do you all of a sudden start talking about this epidemic facing humanity with our jaws? In a sense, that's my territory because the way we got into this was because I was doing research with a brilliant ecologist at the university, Mexico's National University. He was friends with a couple from Mexico and the U.S. Uh, that were running a beautiful little eco lodge called Playa Viva and working with him trying to conserve Mexican biodiversity, particularly uh, jaguars at Calakmul. And he thought we ought to get together because Sandra and her husband, David, uh, live in the Bay Area. Sandra was born in Mexico, but is an American citizen, and I should say a U.S. citizen. It's really bad. And Mexico is part of America, it turns out. And David uh, was born in the U.S., but raised in Mexico. And so Gerardo introduced us. We uh, became friends because they lived nearby, and we had common interests in conservation. And uh, we started having dinners because it turned out we both liked uh, fermented grape juice, which is now actually made and sold in Australia. They call it wine, I think. <laughs> and so, <laughs> great wines. And then Sandra started to talk to me about problems she was having in her practice with her children. And I'll turn it over to her. Well, you obviously don't have many dentist friends, but we always manage to make any conversation boil down to teeth. <laughs> as, as we got together socially, I, I knew what Paul's interests were in being an evolutionary biologist. And I just started dealing with this problem with my own child, with my own son. And my son was starting to snore as a baby, and he was a mouth breather, and I saw that his face wasn't developing properly. So I started looking into this, the, the solution for my son, and my profession didn't really have a lot of answers. I didn't have any techniques that could really help him. I was trying everything. And knowing that Paul was interested in the future of humanity, I really started putting two ideas together that this wasn't just my son's problem. It was a problem that I was seeing in all the kids that were growing up in his age group and in my practice. So I started bringing these ideas up to Paul and, and immediately he thought there was something there and he thought, you know, we, we should look into it and, and possibly um, inform people that this is something where we're going because orthodontists traditionally thought, you know, a lot of the problems with the small jaws and the crowding of teeth is really due to genetics, that that's just a lock of the draw. But having an evolutionary biologist tell me that there is no way that our genes could have changed as fast as the changes that I was seeing in our patients. That's fascinating. That, that grabbed me in the book because I'm 32. As a teenager, I had braces. I had numerous teeth out. My grandfather was actually a dentist. And my grandfather used to tell my mom that the problems with my sister and Maya's teeth is all my dad's fault. <laughs> because it was genetically had come from him. And, and and so that was really interesting. I very quickly, after I finished reading your book, I called up my dad. And I was like, guess what, dad? Don't worry. It's not your fault. <laughs> you read a great book. It's it's not not your fault. You can you can go back and tell mom, you know, it's not genetic. This, this was enormously embarrassing to me because uh, as Sandra explained to me, there was one thought that the big problem was not exercising your jaws enough and so on. And it's solely came to me that I'd been staring at the biggest environmental change that humanity has ever gone through and what were clearly the results of that change. What is the, you know, what was our biggest environmental change? We settled down to practice agriculture. We stopped hunting and gathering 
And then we industrialized and we ate an industrialized diet and we lived indoors instead of outdoors. It was stunning to me that I had missed the significance of this thing that was right in front of my eyes. And so we started uh, thinking and talking about it. And uh, the result is the book, Jaws. It's a fascinating, truly fascinating read. As I said, on a personal level, it connected a lot with me because having been through braces, numerous teeth out, my grandfather being a dentist, and so having some of those stories. But then also, as I've, as I've mentioned to you before we, we started this episode, that I'm actually booked in in two weeks to have all four of my wisdom teeth taken out. And during the book, you know, I started thinking, going, actually, hold on. Is that right? Why, why did I accept that as standard? This is and- our department. So let's open your mouth. Let's <laughs> get a free exam here. You do have, I mean, I'm not trying to, to advertise for anyone, but you do have the best orthodontist on the planet in your country. Best orthodontist that I know of is, is in Melbourne. So if, if, Guy named Simon Wong. Yeah, if you, I was going to say, let's give him a plug. Simon Wong, awesome. Yeah, no, if you, if you need a, um, a consultation, it's, it's something that you need to look into. Everybody that has this you know, suggestion that you should have the, the wisdom teeth removed, you really should look into it. And at some point when you're an adult, there might, there might not be a better option because you might not have enough room. But it might just be, you know, something that's done because everybody has it done. So we have to think a little bit more about what's going on, what's the reason, look at the x-ray. And, and the issue about writing this book for me was bringing to the lay person all this information because it's not something that came about from me being a dentist. It came about with me and the experience of my own child, you know, not resting him long enough or, you know, I gave him the chemical, you know, uh, benefits of breast milk, but I pumped it up and being a working mom, somebody else breastfed him or, or, you know, bottle fit fed him, not breastfed him. So I bypassed that and then I, I moved him to, to, you know, I weaned him into very soft foods and paps and into hamburgers and very soft foods. So this is something as a mom that I lived. So, the, the knowledge that you have as just a, a lay person owning a mouth shouldn't be undermined. It's not the, the experts don't know, know everything. They sh- you should really understand what's going on. And that's the reason that this book is so important. In, re- in writing the book, I read about four, 400 papers, many of them point, pointed out to me by Sandra. And there's one from the National Institutes of Health in the U.S., and you can find it, or I can find it and send it to you, the paper, which says that most wisdom tooth removals uh, are unnecessary. So it's well worth looking into. And one of the nice things I hope about the book is the fact that virtually every sentence has whatever science there is behind it, so that you can look it up. Oh, absolutely. That was, that was one thing I noticed is uh, I was reading the book on my Kindle, and I kind of got got to what seemed like the end, but the Kindle's telling me I'm only like 70% through the book because there was just so many citations and, and references in the back, which I think is amazing. Um, and not enough books do that. So I credit to you guys for making sure that everything had it. I'd like to change the entire orthodontic profession. And if you're going to do that, you got to show them where the data are. There aren't data everywhere that we'd like to have, but we think there's a very persuasive scientific case for not extracting teeth in the course of trying to fix up the jaw and so on. We not only stopped chewing a lot, and we we had a very interesting discussion at lunch today with somebody who's in charge of much of Stanford University's uh, food operations, and she's desperately interested in changing that, including 
the toughness of the food because we're eating, feeding our students a more and more liquid diet. I mean, when was the last time you went to a restaurant and happily ate a tough steak? Your tendency is to eat a hamburger. The hamburger's damn near liquid. The other thing we did uh, as we industrialized was move indoors. That's where the allergens are concentrated. That's where your nose gets stuffed. Many kids spend the first two years of their lives in uh, nursery care uh, where they have perpetual stuffy noses. And yet we know from experiments that if you stuff a monkey's nose, its jaw development goes right to hell. Uh, that's what we think is one of the factors leading to... Uh, to Let, that brings up a great point. Like, let's, let's talk about this. I mean, we've touched on many of them, but listeners are probably going, I'm, I, I'm still not quite clear. What is the problem and what are the causes of it? So maybe let's, let's go through that, some of that history and, and talking about the, the chewing of soft foods. The first thing we need to say is we call our book a hidden epidemic. What's the epidemic? Everybody's wearing braces. Everybody's, you know, the, the teeth are crowded. The jaws are too small to hide the teeth, house the teeth. And also people are starting to have issues with their sleep, where they're having interrupted sleep at night. And these two issues are related. And they are definitely growing in our society. So we look at the history. Paul talked about it. We moved from being hunter-gatherers into agriculture, into heavy industrialization, and even more and more as we, we become more... Um, comfortable with technology. So we really have to know that these are things that are changing health overall. And one of the very, very interesting uh, books or histories that we got when we were putting together this book was we read a a work from the 1800s by somebody named George Catlin that actually went and lived with the Native Americans. And they actually didn't have issues with crowding, didn't have issues with wisdom teeth, but they were also keeping their mouths closed and they were a lot healthier. They weren't having the the child mortality that the whites were having. And one of the nicknames for the the whites that they had, in addition to pale faces, was black mouths because the whites kept their mouth open. And he was so impressed by the importance of keeping the mouth closed that he actually called his book, Shut Your Mouth and Save Your Life. So this is gave it the title because it was really important. He knew that there was an issue there. And this is, we're talking about the middle 1800s. So we're talking about almost 200 years ago. We know that this was going on. Yeah, obviously, the Native Americans were, were living close to the way the hunter-gatherers were, were growing. And, you know, you have uh, great research from your country, too. We have the Aborigines that have a lot more rooms room in their teeth and I don't know if you're familiar with Winston Price, but he did research all over the world in the early 1900s. He was the head of the Dental Society in the U.S., but he traveled to Australia. And he found, very interestingly, in Australia, where the Aborigines moved into reservations. And depending on the age that they moved into the reservation, their jaws changed. So you had very similar siblings genetically. And... You know, if they were at different ages when they moved into the, the reservations, then they, their teeth became crowded. And he has, uh, you know, a book called um, about degeneration because he linked that to not only to crowding but also to, to decay, cavities, and with gum disease. When your gum gets, you know, your gets thin out and then your teeth become loose. So this was not happening in the Aborigines when they were living in the, the more rural environment. We we brought hunter-gatherer teeth into the industrial age, hunter-gatherer jaws into the industrial age. 
and uh, we're seeing the results. And it's, for instance, the introduction to the book uh, is written by the world's expert on stress. And it turns out that if you don't have room for teeth in your mouth, you often don't have room for the entire tongue. And so it tends, if you lie back, to slop back at night, start you snoring. If it goes too far back, it gives you what's called sleep apnea, which is just interrupted sleep because you can't breathe. If you can't breathe, you basically panic. Uh, and so your, your entire system goes into the fight or flight mode. So if you have sleep apnea, you spend much too much of the time when you should be sleeping and restoring your memories and repairing and rebuilding your body and so on in, as if you're being chased by a tiger. And that's a huge stressor. And if you know the literature, one of the things that stress does to you, it makes you more likely to have heart disease. It makes you more likely to have diabetes. It makes you more likely to get cancer. It makes you even more likely now that they are beginning to show to get eventually Alzheimer's disease. It makes you, if other people are stressed, get killed on the highway. And now people who claim that the number of highway deaths resulting from sleep-deprived drivers, particularly truck drivers, is higher than the number of drunken drivers. If you go into a hospital to be operated on where they don't treat the interns right and give, make them sleep-deprived, it's like having a drunk operate on you. So this is a, a huge, wide thing coming from a huge environmental change, which we've ignored. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that, that fascinates me. I mean, you even mentioned in the book that what you talk about and, the, and the, the things you've learned isn't widely known within the dental and orthodontic uh, circles. So if it's been going on for so long, and I agree with you, I mean, I did a test before this episode. I put a post on my Facebook and just asked the question, how many of you have had teeth removed and braces, and the number of comments and replies was astounding. So why do you think it is that no one's really picked up on this before and no one's been talking about this? Well, it's, it's hard to say um, what's going on with the healthcare system because it's not really geared for health. It's really geared in all of medicine. It's geared more to ma maintenance of symptoms so that you can actually be you know, thriving and, and be okay while just you know, addressing the symptoms. And crooked teeth are a symptom. Somebody that I, I always like to mention is, is Dr. John Mew because he's, he's the, the one that really got me turned into the technique that, that, um, that I ended up using with my own son, which is called orthotropics. And we've renamed Fordonics just because it's easier to, to understand everything moving forward, to give more room. But he, he has been doing this for, for 50 years. His son is now um, doing the same thing, and, and they've published articles, and they published a lot of very important research, including, you know, uh, identical twins that were treated with two different techniques. And, you know, they published another paper about craniofacial dystrophy, which actually is proposing that this problem with the jaws is a disease in itself that needs to be addressed and cured. It's not just the teeth are not just the symptom. So he's been doing this for a long time, but Dealing with growth or helping to cure the problem or to prevent it, it takes a little bit more time and also more focus. It's not as easy as waiting until the problem has already shown itself and going, okay, let's deal with the symptom. To really be able to go in early and you know, be a, a step ahead and predict and be able to keep the symptom from ever happening, it's always going to be hard. So... It's, it's well, I mean, as a marketer, I know it's very hard to sell prevention. It's far easier to sell the cure. You can understand the psycho human psychology of it. Yeah, you can make more money, but just the psychology of humans 
you know, we'll, we'll do far more to get a cure than we will to prevent something from happening. It's the same with the other huge environmental problems. A lot cheaper and easier to stop putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere than to try and rescue society when the planet is four degrees hotter and the weather has gone totally to hell. Yeah. The case with almost everything. And also professionals, and I can say it for university professors, tend to be very conservative. If they're making money and they know what they're doing and they're getting plenty of customers, you know, why the hell change? And uh, of course, problem is to change the growth pattern, to restore a proper growth pattern in the jaw or in the leg or anywhere else. It takes time and effort on the part of the patient. Whereas if all you have to do is slap in some metal uh, and move the teeth around, it's very easy. People think that bone is, you know, like concrete. Not at all. Bone's really alive. It's always changing. It's uh, your teeth are always going to be moving around if they're crowded. Uh, and all you do in orthodontics generally is move them into a nice pattern and then put in a retainer because they won't stay in that pattern. Mm. Uh, and that's easy uh, and it's temporary. Whereas the problem of taking a four-year-old and making sure over the next decade that the growth pattern of the jaw is proper and goes to a large jaw where the teeth all have room and the tongue has room, that takes time and effort. So the best thing to do, of course, is to get everybody chewing early on. Well, it's definitely something that's multifactorial, like most issues that affect humans' health. But it's if, if we think about, for example, the allergies. The allergies are a huge incremental problem. We see more allergies now. You go back to Caitlin when he was living with the, the Native Americans. They were living outdoors. So they had better jaws and their mouth was closed. But those of us who have moved indoors, we are where there's more, more allergens. There's more particles in the air that we're breathing. So we're going to have a tendency to have more allergies. And, you know, that we looked at research that was very compelling that neither Paul or I would be involved with um, because it, it wouldn't be ethical for us today. But it's a, a research that has been done on research monkeys. Harvard worked in San Francisco 50 years ago. And what he did was he plugged the noses or, or put things in the mouth so the tongue could not go to the roof of the mouth. And the monkey's mouth didn't develop. We started getting the crowding and the whole um, oral cavity became deformed. So we know that if we're not breathing properly, we're hanging our mouth open, if our nose is not working. After all, in anatomy, you always talk about use it or lose it. If, if a child never walks, you know, he's not going to develop his legs. So the same thing with the nose. The nose filters the, the air, warms the air, moisturizes the air. It produces important chemicals that, that have antibacterial uh, components. So it's very important to use the nose. If we bypass the nose, we're going to spiral into a lot of different um, ailments. And, you know, it's multifactorial. we got to get a, a group of people looking at the same thing. It's not just one profession that's gonna, or one specialty that's going to address this. It's, to an evolutionary biologist, the nose is fascinating because it has all those functions. And evolution designed it to carefully make the airflow go so those functions work. So the idea that you just have two different tubes that go to the lungs one through the mouth and one through the nose, and it doesn't make any difference which one you use, is just crazy. It's also crazy to think uh, that somehow tonsils and adenoids are things that, that just are there that don't have any real function and so on. So if a kid is having trouble breathing or something, you take out the adenoids, you take out the tonsils. Actually, the large size of those organs is usually a sign of mouth breathing and too much other stuff 
that should have been filtered out of the nose has to be filtered out by the tonsils and adenoids, which swells them. There's all kinds of connections here. And uh, we're trying to... Let, make- I mean, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, mouth breathing, we've mentioned that a few times, and I'm aware of what you're talking about. For those listening, they might be going, well, what are they talking about mouth breathing? Is it as simple as that, people breathing through their mouth? Well, mouth breathing is a problem, but that's that's not the only problem. If we hang our mouth open, regardless of if we're breathing through our nose or our mouth, when we hang our mouth open, we're going to have a tendency to grow down and back. And as we do that, the jaws will get narrow, and we will also impinge on the airway. The airway is a tube that takes air either from the nose or the mouth into the lungs. If you think about it very mechanically, you can breathe through a, a fire hose, which is very big, or you can try to breathe through a cocktail straw. And if the jaws are too far back and there's not enough room for the tongue and the tongue has to partially live inside the throat, then you're going to be breathing through a narrow area. So the airway will be narrow. It's all connected, but it's we don't know exactly the chicken or the egg, but we know that there's an environment that makes you hang your mouth open. And that's what makes you not grow. And that could be from allergies, but it could also be from not being strong enough because you, did, you were not weaning to the proper food. So even if you're breathing through your nose, if you're just at rest, you hang your mouth open. And I, I love for parents to, to look and observe children because this is something that I get all the time. The people that read my, my work, they say, you know, you ruin my life because I go and I see cute little kids you know, waiting in the sideline of the soccer game or, you know, or playing in the playground. And now I see that they all have their mouth open and I would yell at them, close your mouth up. And they all have their mouth just hanging open. And, you know, it's something that we observe and it's just commonplace in our society. That doesn't mean that being more common doesn't make it healthy or normal. It's a special problem of development with things like jaws where things are, have to match. You know, when, when in the process of development, if you don't have any teeth in the lower jaw, uh, then the upper jaw, teeth in the upper jaw don't know how far to grow. They don't get the signals back because all of development is a combination of genetics interacting with an environment. And mm. for the jaws to develop properly, part of the environment has to be the opposite jaw. And that's why it's so important. And one of the things we emphasize in the book uh, that the kids for at least eight hours a day or so should have their mouths closed, their teeth in light contact, and their tongue plastered against the roof of the mouth. And that will lead to the proper development of that part of the face. Uh, and it's hard for people to realize that the gentle pressures, the, the, the signals you get from the contact are really important uh, in seeing to it that things develop properly. If your eyeballs weren't in contact with your skull, then your eye sockets would not grow properly and so on. So it's a standard thing, but particularly important in the jaw, the tongue, uh, and the uh, and the teeth on both the maxilla and the mandible. By the way, the upper jaw, uh, most people don't realize that it's just not teeth stuck to the uh, bottom of the skull, that actually there is a jawbone there that can and does move. One of the really silly things that happens all the time is in orthodonture, you put something on the upper jaw to try and tug on the lower jaw, and the process moves the upper jaw back, closing your airway even more. There's a lot to learn, and there's a lot to adjust in the way we treat people. Again, prevention instead of cure is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about where this 
epidemic, this problem. I mean, one of the, actually touching on epidemic, one of the things I like that you mentioned in the book is if 10%, uh, you said if 10% of the population of a certain population in the US was in bed sick with the flu, then the media would be all over it saying there's a flu epidemic. Yet you talk about, I think it was in Brazil, that 55% of a certain uh, group of children uh, aged, I can't remember what the age was, were suffering from, from these problems, yet no one's out there except now you guys saying, hey, look, there's an epidemic here. That, that was absolutely fascinating. So if we project into the future and we think about, okay, let's say nothing gets done. Let's say the practices of, of dental and orthodontia don't, don't take into account this research and, and they continue to go the way they are. For us as a society, what are we looking at potentially happening? Well, it's not good. It's already causing a lot of misery. We all have somebody in our family or friends that snore. We know that that's a huge percentage. We don't need a study to tell us that because we all know people that snore. And the, the natural progression from snoring, if you live long enough, is to develop sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea. And it really causes a lot of misery. So the end result, if we don't do anything, is it's, it's bleak. It doesn't look great. I don't think we're going to disappear as a, as a population, but it's definitely going to be more and more difficult to, to thrive and have better life. And we're going to have more and more of these diseases of westernization or western disease. And the, the stress is going to go up. And it's just that if you look at what's going on the, the last hundred years, you could see what direction we're going in. Since I got into this, uh, discovered that my Daughter went on a CPAP machine, which has made her life much better. This is a machine that you wear all night long that keeps your airway open. It helps you breathe so you don't get sleep apnea. It turns out that we've run into all kinds of people who have these problems. In fact, we have a friend in Australia whose wife uh, went through a, an operation that Sandra more or less advised against and has been in misery over sleep apnea now for years basically ruining her life. So when you look to the future, you can answer your own question. These treatments like CPAP machines are expensive. Cancer is expensive. Heart disease is expensive. Diabetes is expensive. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, uh, what is society going to be willing to pay for uh, to avoid this misery? Uh, and how long are they going to be willing to keep trying to treat the symptoms without dealing uh, with the basic causes of the, uh, there's a general transition, as you know, that the medical profession has long recognized away from diseases that are transmissible by viruses and bacteria and into the diseases that are basically related to the jaw epidemic in one way or another, the sleep and the sleep apnea and so on. And it's, it's expensive and it's silly because it could be changed, but we don't seem to be moving in that direction. And of course, some people make lots of money on it. So, do you think do you think that it will ultimately change the shape of human faces to to come, or do you think like we'll just keep fixing it like like we currently do? Everyone wants the movie star smile, but you talk about that the old hunter gatherers basically had the movie star smile uh, without all the expensive work required. You, you want to have a grim prediction? Yeah, please. I think we've got a few decades at most to solve the whole array of environmental problems, the toxification of the planet, the loss of biodiversity, the climate disruption, we're in deep, deep trouble. And my big hope for this book and so on is for several decades to save a lot of people a lot of misery. And then civilization's going to collapse. There won't be any more CPAP machines and so on. But 
we will probably return to the hunter-gatherer lifestyle, which may very well give uh, the people, the, the remnant societies, very strong jaws, but not many of the benefits uh, that we all like to have. Yeah. I'm a lot more hopeful, at least in this, in this part of my profession, because I know anybody that has a four-year-old today will have a chance to have access to this information, not only because of JAWS, our book, but there's several groups, and we mentioned them on, on JAWS, there's several groups that are already looking at this. There's collaboration between dentists and physicians and um, nutritionists and behavioral uh, scientists and neuroscientists, and we're starting to collaborate and we're looking at this so that the people that have young children, they will have access to a lot more information because this is this basically the how do you say the rabbits out of the hat and and really the information is out there there's the internet there's programs like yours a lot of people are going to know about this and i do foresee very very uh in a very short period you know an army of parents picketing demanding you know early treatment for their children they're not going to go to the orthodontist say my my four-year-old looks like the mouth is open and teeth are going to be crowded and they're not going to accept the answer of, let's wait until he's 12 and all the teeth are crowded to pull a couple of teeth and when they say pull they're going to question it when they're, they're going to refuse extraction and retractive treatments and they're going to say you know i want to prevent this problem because i have information information is power so I, I think this is one of those things like Paul says. Well, I agree with her on this. Over the next few decades, we could make a huge amount of progress. Uh, whether we'll make similar progress on the other issues, it's an open question. Everybody can settle it. I mean, uh, you probably haven't heard, but we have a president named uh, Donald Trump, uh, who's a genuine moron trying to wreck the environment and being very successful at it. So you can make your own decisions there. But what Sandra says is true. The potential is there to solve this problem for most human beings by preventing the problem. I, I agree. I mean, and that's it's not a mystery. That's the whole reason that this podcast exists, actually, is is to build awareness of issues just like this. Because I, I agree with you, Paul. I think that the potential over the next few decades, we when I look to the future, I see multiple amazing futures, utopian futures, and I see horrible dystopian futures as well. And I think we have a choice and it comes down to getting more awareness for more people to be aware and having discussions like we're having that I think can ultimately change the course. And, you know, we can vote and we, we're more informed with, with the decisions that we help shape our society. So I, I agree that uh, getting this information out is really, really important. I, I suppose like the biggest takeaway I took from the book, Sandra, was, as you say, was I was like, well, question what the, the dentist or orthodontist says to me. Don't just take oh, you should need to have this tooth out. Maybe get a second, third opinion. Ask them to explain why. Uh, is it just purely for cosmetic reasons or is there actually a, a, an issue here that, that they're trying to address and, and what is that issue? That was the big takeaway. And the other big takeaway, sadly for me, was that it really seemed to be saying that as a parent looking after your kids, there's a lot of hope. For the rest of us who maybe are past our teenage and, and, and childhood years, there may not be too much we can do. Is that is that true? Are we resigned to our mouth is now the way it is because we're through our 20s and 30s and, and onwards? Uh, or is there still options open to the rest of us? You can definitely improve anybody's situation. If you start doing some postural exercises and you start focusing on breathing better and keeping your teeth in light contact and seek treatments that will actually bring things forward, you can do 
a lot. Uh, I, I don't specialize in adults, but we have a section in the book which addresses adult problems, which usually start with the complaint of, you know, my husband is snoring, can you do something about this? And there's a lot of clinicians that are doing very successful treatment in adults. One of them is opening extraction spaces. So actually somebody has their big cuspid pull out and they go to a, a, one of a forward honest or an airway-centric clinician and they actually put the braces or whatever they, they do, the expanders, and they open up room of the teeth that were pulled. And that is, is incredibly soothing to the people that have this done because it gives more room to the tongue. So the tongue is not stuck you know, in the back. And there's surgeries that can go from maybe a, a lingual it can do a little bit of you know, releasing of the tongue to you know, really doing surgery to advance both jaws. And I do recommend the surgery because I see that the improvement in quality of life is spectacular when you have a good surgeon. There's not a lot of them that are good, but if you find a very good surgeon to do this surgery, it will add years and, and quality to your life beyond what you can even imagine. So, you know, I know it's, it's hard to think about surgery, but there, there are things, it's definitely more complicated the older you get, but there's, there's roads that you can get uh, the full benefit, just like a, like if you were four years old, but you do have to consider things like surgery. I mean, not that I like the idea of surgery. It is good to know that there are options for, for maybe for me, but for anyone else who's, you know, for the others listening, they might be sitting there, or especially when they read the book, they might be like, oh, well, I can help my kids, but I can't help myself. So that's good to know. One of the things that I do want to touch on is in the book, you talk a lot and you've mentioned it here a few times, the idea of keeping your mouth closed and your teeth lightly touching. Now, I while reading the book, you can't help but you know, go, well, hold on, how am I doing it? I was aware that I closed my mouth. And so at first I thought, well, I'm not a mouth breather. And then a little bit later, you talk about, well, are your teeth actually touching? It's like, well, no. And since, since reading the book, I've got to tell you, I've been far more conscious of, of trying to make sure I do it. But I, I was doing a little bit of research online and it seems as though there's a lot of information saying the opposite online, saying that the best mouth posture is actually to have a little little gap between your teeth. You shouldn't have them touching. So how do we know who to trust? Like, how do we know who's right and wrong? There's so much information out there. If someone else has had their dentist tell them, no, they shouldn't be touching, and then you're saying we should. That's a little bit of the Achilles heel of the whole theory because I learned in dental school that the teeth need to be apart and that our, our enamel is sacred and it should be never worn. But when you look at hunter-gatherers' remains, you see that there's quite a bit of wear. And so the dentistry that we've, we've mechanically been providing to our patients might not be conducive to health. And part of the reason somebody came up with the idea of having the teeth apart is so that there's no wear. Now we know that Dr. Mew's theory, that it's very important to have that contact. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, but it's not something that's shared by almost anyone that, I, that I've talked to. Even people that understand you should have your tongue in the roof of your mouth and you should breathe through your nose. They always talk about the teeth being a little bit separate so that you can keep them from, from damaging themselves if you're tightening your teeth. So that was something that was hard for me to understand. But the other side of your question, I cannot keep my teeth in light contact. Why? Because my tongue doesn't fit. To be able to fit your tongue comfortably, you need to have at least 44 millimeters, 42 or 44 millimeters of width, which if you look at a, a pre-industrial skull, you'll see the bit, the width was very large. So when you don't have the architecture, it's impossible, practically impossible for you to really, when you go to sleep and you relax, to really keep the teeth in comfort. 
because your tongue will spill in the back, even if your lips are together. And that is one of the most difficult concepts that I had to deal with when I started it um, about 10 years ago in reading about this theory. And universities, uh, practitioners, almost nobody shares that that concept. So that's one of the, the things that really needs to be reevaluated, changed, and also looked into with research. Mm. Just think about it for a minute. How many times have you heard about people suffering from a little loss uh, of uh, wear on their teeth? The big issues are braces, crooked teeth, tooth decay, and so on, all of which not related to whether or not you've got, you haven't ground your teeth down a little bit. As a matter of fact, uh, we know that people in the past lived very good lives with ground down teeth. Uh, and in fact, and for some conditions like bruxism where um, people are grinding their teeth too much, one of the cures is to actually grind them further and let them come to the proper kind of contact. We can't do the experiments we'd love to do. Obviously, it'd be wonderful for us if we could take 10,000 kids and raise them on tough food, breastfeed them for four years, wean them onto rocks in outdoors without nasal allergies, and take another 10,000 and let them live the normal industrial life and see what happens. We're very explicit in the book on what the data are like. It's a combination of a huge natural experiment. There is you know, the best book ever written in biology had no experiments in it at all. And that was Darwin's Origin of Species. Mm. But we have a huge natural experiment, uh, which is still ongoing because some people are exposed to the industrialization and others aren't. And we have a historical record of what happened. For instance, if you look at the jaws of a bunch of Danes, say 50 Danes from a cemetery 300 years ago, and look at their jaws of Danes today, they're smaller today. The, the operationist thing is still going on. So we have a big experiment. We have lots of clinical evidence. Uh, and we also sometimes speculate, and we're explicit. I mean, for example, uh, on the issue, which we'd love to have data on, did hunter-gatherers ever snore? We speculate they didn't because, of course, they were hunted by leopards and they slept outside. I think the snorers would have probably been removed pretty rapidly from the population. So we'd like more data, but we have more than enough to know what direction we should be moving in. It's just like we don't know exactly how the climate in Sydney or Palo Alto, California is going to change over the next hundred years. But we know that agriculture is utterly dependent on climate and that if we screw up the climate, we're threatening the food base of humanity. You don't always need the final detail to know when you ought to start taking action. And with kids, you should. there's a nice list that Sandra put together in the book in a box of what the warning signs are. I suggest that everybody who's got a young kid go to that table and look because it'll give you a clue as to whether or not you should be worrying about this and whether you should mm. be taking action now before you end up with a kid that one tooth sticks through the nose. Absolutely. I mean, and that's what I love that. That, you know, the first part of, of the book really talks about the problem and the history. And, and then the last bit is really some practical, here's what you can do. Here's what to look out for. Here's the different checklists. Look for this. Obviously, it, it, people can get the book and get the whole checklist. But what are some of the, for a parent listening, what are some of the key warning signs they should probably look out for? The short list would be, you know, it's number one, if the kid has a mouth open. If you see him watching TV or at rest and the mouth is open, um, when a kid smiles and you see a lot of gum, 
that's a, a sign that the upper jaw is actually growing down. And you can see that even in a, in a kid that just has the, the baby teeth that are coming in. You can see if there's too much uh, gum showing. Sleeping is a very good time to observe the kids because, you know, we grow, we develop when we're sleeping. That, you know, growth hormone is liberated at around two, 2 in the morning when we go into deep sleep. So to go in and watch your children and see what's going on when, when they're sleeping. Obviously, any type of snoring, any type of noise is not normal. It's a sign of alarm. We have babies, you know, newborn babies that are, that are snoring. So this should be, you know, taken in consideration as a, as a red, red flag. If you see that the sheets are turned over, like the, the kid is moving a lot during the night, that's definitely another sign. If they're waking up and they're not, you know, refreshed and they're not ready to go, a child really, I'm not talking about teenagers that, you know, that are always tired. But I'm talking about younger kids. They should get up early, ready to go, energetic, ready for anything. So if they're, you know, waking up and they're tired, that's a problem. And that there's enough research I've seen it in the book that it relates or it correlates it with the attention deficit disorders that we're seeing. Kids are tired during the day; they can't concentrate, or they're misbehaving. That's also it could be a, a growth from the jaws or a problem that comes from that. And definitely, if you see bags under the eyes, that means the jaw is falling down and this is a venous return. The blood is getting stuck under the eyes. So if you see too much of the white of the eye, that's also another sign. So that, that there's, you know, one thing that's to the other. But, you know, any parent that starts reading this will recognize one and eventually a few others because they're usually together. But it's very, very important for parents to be empowered by the information and know what's going on. Absolutely. And I, I think also when, when, from my own experience, at least, when you see some of the, the photos and images that you include and you see the stark difference between before utilizing you know, better uh, oral posture and fixing all the, all the types of strategies you talk about and then what after, like it's, it's amazing to see the difference of, as you talk about long face versus um, you know, better jaw structure. That was, especially the twins one, that was fascinating to me. For the rest of us, even though, so there's our children, but also for us, uh, the key things I took away was I need to be conscious of the, how soft the food is I'm, I'm eating. And for myself, I don't know about others listening, but my family in general, and I started to think about this, is this part of why my sister and I had such, really my whole family had dental issues. I don't, I don't know if I'm the fastest eater in the family, but our whole family are pretty fast. Like when, when, uh, Grace, my partner comes over, she's usually the last person to finish. The whole family's finished and, and she's still kind of going. I, I was aware of how little I chew, how much I'll swallow the food really probably after like one or two chews and then I'll gulp it down. And I've done that almost my whole life. It's a habit. And I tried to get into the habit of, okay, chewing it 15 times. I think that was the, the, the suggestion in the book, at least. And so I, I tried to, to, to consciously be aware of that. And, and I found that, that 32 years of habit is hard to, to change when I just want to, I just want to swallow it. It's like, oh, it's done. Um, so chewing, like making sure we chew more, uh, chewing harder foods or being aware that the softer foods aren't, you know, getting our muscles working or grinding the teeth. I mean, someone actually I was talking about the book the other day with someone and they suggested that they love chewing on bones. I'm guessing it probably hunter gatherers is probably what we used to do, right? Chew on the bones. So if that's something people like to do, I guess that's something they could do and, and would help. I was going to say, make mothers hate you by recommending chewing gum. Uh. We think that we should get the gum manufacturers to make better gum. There are some gums that we know about. We could encourage kids to chew. 
is it the chewing of it? Is it the action of chewing or is it the gum itself that's helping? No, it's the action of chewing and the, the working of the muscles. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Mike Mew because he's a big presence in the, in the internet. And he's, he has people that have been adults that have been chewing gum and they are uploading their photos and they're saying, look how my jawline has strengthened just since I've been chewing gum every day, hard gum. And you can see, I mean, like I said, I don't have experience with adults because it's not part of my practice, but there's definitely enough circumstantial evidence that is showing that just changing the chewing and the, the breathing is causing a lot of at least aesthetic improvement in adults. Amazing. Yeah, the, the three takeaways was, was chewing better, making sure I've got the right oral posture and, and breathing through my nose rather than through my mouth, which I think I do okay. But so for everyone listening, like those are the three key things I took away and, and they're nodding along, but I, I think I'm on the right track. So that's, that's good to know. It's been amazing to, to talk to you guys and everyone listening, whether you have kids or not, I highly recommend you go out and you grab the book. Again, it's called Jaws, The Story of a Hidden Epidemic, and you can get it on Amazon and probably at any of your bookstores. If you reach out, uh, they'll be able to get it for you. Uh, Sandra and Paul, thank you so much for joining us. A final question. I know you kind of already touched on it, but to each of you, when you think to the future in general, with what you know in your industry, obviously, but projecting forward, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Where do you, where do you kind of fly? Like I said before, I'm optimistic. I think that in my industry, there is so much change that can happen just by having the right information. And I already see, see the, the times, the tides changing. And I, I see a lot of parents with this information demanding better treatments and it's already happening. So for me, it's something that is, is, it has a good outlook. I, I agree with her in the general area of jaw health and so on. I think we're starting to move in the right direction. On the other issues, uh, this is a huge environmental issue. On the other huge environmental issues, I'm very optimistic about what we could do. Uh, but in the current political situation, I'm very pessimistic about what we will do. But in any case, I'm optimistic that we could give a lot of people a lot better life, even if we're headed for a collapse that will be very unpleasant in a few decades. Awesome. All right. Look, absolutely. I appreciate both your points of view and everyone, guys, check out that book. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to the book and also where you can learn and find more information about both Paul and Sandra. And uh, look, guys, if you enjoyed this, please jump out and get that book and uh, leave your comments and let us know what you liked. And maybe in the future, we can have Paul and Sandra back on. Uh, or we'll pass on any messages you'd like passed on. So thank you very much. See you guys later. Thanks for listening to the Future of Humanity podcast. To download the latest episode and find the transcript and various resources mentioned in today's episode, visit our website at foh.show. That's F-O-H as in Future of Humanity and show as in S-H-O-W. You can also, via our website, contact me with any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. So please do reach out. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, you can find the links to subscribe on all your favorite platforms at foh.show slash subscribe. That's foh.show slash subscribe. And more importantly, if you'd like to continue the conversation from today's episode and connect with other listeners, then you can join our free community at foh.show slash community, foh.show slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.